Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi everyone, this is Steve Smith with Automotive News. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, July 28th. The road to fully autonomous vehicles is a long one, and while the industry has made huge strides in recent years, there is still a long road ahead. Helping drive us toward that destination are a host of companies, traditional and non-traditional automotive players, that are experimenting, testing, and perfecting a suite of technologies that ultimately need to work in harmony for fully autonomous vehicles to be both safe and economically viable. LiDAR is one of those technologies that companies worldwide are working to perfect. Earlier this month, global automotive supplier Vianeer, just days before announcing its acquisition by Magna, announced that it had selected LiDAR supplier Baraha as its partner to help complement and scale Vianeer's driver assistance and autonomous applications. It was a decision based on a valuation of 70 LiDAR technology companies. Founder and CEO Federica Colarte believes Baraja's approach to LiDAR is one of the primary reasons Vionier chose to partner with his company. What's different? Well, for one, Baraja's LiDAR is based on experiences and proven technology born out of the telecom industry, where Colarte started his career. It uses random modulated continuous wave technology to change how autonomous vehicles see the world while also improving reliability and lowering costs compared to other spinning LiDAR solutions on the market. He also says Baraja's technology has gone through harsh testing in mines across the Australian outback, which serves as another important proof point that the company's approach to LiDAR is ready for scaling in the automotive industry, something he says is an important objective to the partnership with Vionier. What else is different about Baraja's LiDAR technology? What's his view on standards in the race to autonomy? And how does Magna's announced acquisition of Vianeer impact the partnership with Baraja? We've reached company founder and CEO Federico Colarte at his home office in Sydney, Australia. Federico, thanks so much for joining me today on the Daily Drive podcast. How are you, sir? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. Well, we're thrilled to have you on the show. Very exciting topic as the automotive industry pushes towards vehicles that drive themselves. Lots of experimentation going on in the area of autonomous driving technology. Why don't we start by uh, giving you a moment to tell our listeners about Baraja? Great. Thank you for the opportunity. Baraja is a company uh, that is, is, is doing LiDAR for autonomous vehicles. Uh, having said that, we've taken a very different approach to how we engineer our LiDAR. Uh, we call it spectrum scan LiDAR, and it harnesses the power of uh, the changes in color or frequency of, of light and pairs that with prism-like optics to achieve steering without any moving parts. Um, so we think that this is going to be quite key in, in the, the road to volume produce uh, and, and cost down of the technology. As you, by steering without moving parts, you are able to remove the steering component, which is usually quite bulky, expensive, and prone to failure. So that's a spectrum scan uh, Baraja's take on LiDAR. 
Now, this is a solution that you describe, or is that described technically as random modulated continuous wave technology? For those of us that are not very familiar with with various kinds of LIDAR technology solution, can you talk to us a little bit about how that's different than perhaps other LIDAR solutions that are currently available? Yeah, Barajas LIDAR is different not only on, on RMCW, uh, but on, on dif- you know, in many different uh, aspects of it. The first one is what I was just alluding to, the way in which we scan, uh, spectrum scan. So most LIDARs use a laser, and most lasers are monochromatic, single color, single wavelength, let's say. Our laser is very special. It comes from the telecom industry, and it's able to change color. Now, the technology we've developed at Baraja is the ability to get this laser to change color accurately and repeatedly millions of times per second. It wasn't designed to, to change color millions of times per second, but say once every month, every time you reconfigured the, the telecommunications network. So that's the key groundbreaking technology of Baraja. Spectrum scan, the ability to change the color of this laser accurately and repeatedly millions of times per second. And when you pair that with prism-like optics, as light that changes color goes through this prism-like optic, the prism does the routing uh, without any moving parts. So imagine uh, colors of the rainbow. So if if the laser light were to be red, it would be exiting the prism uh, at the top, green in the center, and blue at the bottom. That's how we steer the beam without moving parts. And as I was saying, that has great advantages for reliability, miniaturization, and cost down of the system. That is also paired with what you were alluding to, RMCW, random modulated continuous wave, which is not how we steer the laser beam, but how we measure distance, how we do ranging. So those are the two key components of any LiDAR system. How do you measure distance and how do you steer the beam? We're different in both. So now, RMCW, stems from the ability of our laser to modulate a signal with codes, a binary code, ones and zeros. Remember, our laser comes from telecom. It was designed to transmit 10 gigabits per second over long-haul fiber optic networks. So we use this ability to transmit not a pulse, but to transmit a code, a binary code of information. And then basically we count the time for that code to come back to us. The time for the, the code to travel there and back tells us how far away the light had to travel and basically gives us an ability to measure the distance to the object. Um, But the the inherent advantage of this is that it is immune to interference because you can always double check that it's your code, your light coming back, not anyone else's light or code coming back. Uh, Those are the two dimensions of uniqueness in in the LiDAR system. We talk about the benefits here, and I, I can, you know, based on other conversations that I've had around this technology, and, and, and based on what you're seeing, there are already a number of advantages or benefits, you know, outside of that, you, what you're talking about, right? Less moving parts, smaller means lighter, more reliable. That has cost implications down the road, not only in terms of installation, but warranty and longevity as well. So it's not only the readiness of the technology that is a benefit, as you described. Can you talk a little bit about what kind of quality, cost uh, benefits yeah. that you've seen as well? Absolutely. So, look, let, let's maybe talk a little bit about other ways in which you can achieve ranging, measuring distance with LiDAR. So the more traditional way of doing this is with uh, pulse time of flight. 
the, the problem with pulse time of light is that uh, you, you send a very short pulse and then count the time for that light to come back. That means that you need very high bandwidth electronics, you know, very fast electronics to transmit a very short pulse and also to capture it coming back. That translates to expensive electronics. Yeah, And the second problem with uh, pulse time of light is that it's very prone to interference because, because any light coming back can be misrepresented as your light, your pulse coming back. So that really doesn't scale to fleets of thousands or millions of vehicles on the road, all shooting lasers at each other, does it? So when, when we started architecting our system, we really started thinking, well, what will be important in the future? Ultimately, LiDAR is the tool to create high, a high-fidelity representation of the world. So in interference uh, immunity is going to be important. Then it's going to be on every car, so it has to be cheap and it has to present an accurate high-resolution uh, image of the world. We also felt back then that having the ability to uh, extend to the technology to produce a Doppler signature, which means measuring the velocity of the objects, was going to be quite important. So. When we put all of these uh, ideas together and, and selected the way to do ranging, that's how we came up with RMCW. RMCW allows us to do all of these things. So RMCW, uh, let's compare it now to FMCW, Frequency Modulated Continuous Wave. We believe that we can achieve uh, the same level of ranging and resolution, but with 16 times less bits per sample. The problem with FMCW, other technologies, um, is that it requires a very long sequence uh, and a very long acquisition window. That translates to um, low points per second, low resolution. And it also means that while you are scanning, you know, really you're actually moving that beam, you are uh, at the same time recording or acquiring. And that creates, uh, if, if you're simultaneously moving your laser beam and recording, then you're creating uh, a blurring of the image. Spectrum scan paired with RMCW solves those problems. So uh, to summarize, RMCW paired with uh, spectrum scan is extensible from what our laser was designed to do from telecom. It sends and, and receives codes, binary codes. That solves the problem of immunity to interference. Uh, it allows us to do Doppler. Uh, and it solves the problem of speckle and blurring that are common in, in other techniques like FMCW. In some of your materials, you've talked about your system has been tested in hard conditions that historically, I don't know if it's historically, but let's say they, they have a, a, you know, these these environments that tend to make LiDAR not work the way that it's tending, you know, snow and ice and salt. You've tested this technology in the outback. You've tested it in the Arctic. Can you describe those tests? Um, you know, what were the use yeah. cases? What did you learn? Uh, what were the results? Yeah. So in, in this, I, I want to call out a slight difference between verification testing and validation. So of course, we do lots of verification testing. These, these are in the lab, typically, you know, you do shake and bake and temperature, humidity and, and combinations of all of them. And the, the aim of verification is you, you verify against your requirements and to the best of your ability, those requirements should be a good proxy for what the system is gonna experience in real life. But validation is actually putting it to the test in real life in real use case conditions with real users, right? Not 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 uh, not your engineers pretending to be the, the user. And that's what we've done. So 
Um, this is not a paid test. It's actually, um, you know, the fact that we've sold units into uh, lots of units for uh, mining applications in the Australian outback. So uh, we were very proud to, to have uh, units uh, in the field. They've been operating for over two years now uh, in the Australian desert, uh, exposed to sun, dust, dirt, sand, uh, cold and hot. And, uh, you know, the, the, the environment is so aggressive that the um, typical blue color of our units have, has completely faded. All the, all the paint outside has eroded, and these units are natural aluminum color now after two years, but they are still operational. So um, that's short to say that it's not a test that we've concocted. Uh, it's just the... the you know, good engineering in the field and working from early on with customers to to get uh, to get our units into their application and learning as hard and as and as fast as we can. Uh, we chose these applications early because they are they are very you know they're like the torture test uh, for our product designs, and this has informed some of the design choices that we're putting into the next generation product uh, slated for volume produced uh, autonomous vehicles. The story and and your history is very interesting to me, and I'd like to maybe talk a little bit about these experiences and how they translate into what you what you just recently announced uh, with with Vianir. It's this notion that you look at your testing, you look at you and your founder's history coming from telecom, you look at your investment partners, capital investment partners. And there's not a whole lot of representation there of traditional automotive, light vehicle manufacturers, suppliers, et cetera. Has that approach been purposeful? And, and, and is this now a moment when you're ready to bring this technology into the traditional automotive industry? That's, that's a good question. I hadn't really, no, it's not been by design, I guess. So it's not been on purpose. Um, amongst our investors, we we do have um, you know VCs that have invested in mobility. For example, uh, Blackbird who invested in our seed round, also invested in the seed round for Souks, and then we also have Sequoia who has invested in lots of mobility plays. But I think you are right that uh, they are more new type of mobility, right? Like new age mobility type of plays. Um, look in. So in terms of our partnership with, with Vioneer or, or our approach to the more traditional parts of the automotive industry, I do think that there's been some deliberate action in, in that regard. Um, we, we have focused early on on developing the technology. You know, we've, we've really created LiDAR from the ground up. As I was describing, our ranging technique, RMCW, is unique to us. No one else in the world is doing it this way. And the way in which we steer the beam spectrum scan is, again, unique in the world. No one else is doing it this way. So uh, it's taken us a bit longer. Uh, we've solved probably 10 or 50 times the number of challenges than our competitors have had to, to solve because we've really reinvented this from the ground up. Um, now, the benefit of that is that now that we are here, all of our future roadmap builds on top of RMCW, now adding Doppler, 
and builds on top of spectrum scan, miniaturizing these prism-like optics into silicon photonics and, and so on and so forth and volume producing it. So I think we, we are going to be going much faster from now on compared to some of our competitors that might have to start pivoting their technology because what took them here doesn't allow them to go uh, in, into the future roadmap. Now, in terms of partnering with automotive, maybe uh, that is the reason why, why you know, um, the, the partnership with Pioneer has only been announced now and not earlier. It's because we really needed to mature and understand the technology uh, before we, we, we started chasing that uh, automotive uh, volume produced uh, type of partnership. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory, sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. So why don't you tell us about this partnership that you announced with Veneer in, in mid-July? Look, I think it is uh, it is the, the right kind of partnership and, and definitely the the right one for us. Uh, Vioneer, if, if you know a little bit about them, they are really a center of excellence for active safety, ADAS, AV. They don't do seats, panels, and, and the other things that, that you know, are components of a car that many other tier ones do. They only do cameras, radar, active safety. You know, they, they, are, they are really specializing in that. And LiDAR is the perfect complement uh, uh, to that type of uh, tier one. Um, we've been working with them closely for, gosh, I think seven, eight months now. Uh, and I really mean closely, uh, several times a week calls. They, they've been since January evaluating heavily initially the technology, uh, and then understanding the extensibility of the technology, because obviously we're not, um, you know, we're not only focusing on the technology we have today, but we're focusing on presenting a a roadmap, an exciting roadmap uh, to automotive partners going to 2025 and all the way to 2030, right? Um, so they, they initially evaluated the technology today, then they started looking into the roadmap. Then there was quite a lot of analysis and scrutiny on the costing, our ability to really cost down the technology and miniaturize it. 
Um, and it's only after all of these uh, seven months of work and after also they had analyzed and compared us against other 70 uh, or so LiDAR uh, companies that they selected us uh, to go ahead. Um, we've also heard that uh, there, there's other uh, LiDAR and tier one partnerships that are kind of a, a light type of partnership, basically just barely more than a contract manufacturing type of relationship. Uh, our partnership with Unir is, is a true partnership in that we're being uh, open and, and really collaborating on technology, um, industrialization, and very aggressively the business pursuit, um, which we're already engaged on. So is the part of this effort to help um, scale your technology in partnership with Veneer, uh, you know, the manufacturing know-how, if you will, the, I think you have the auto grade piece of it solved with the testing, the harsh testing conditions that you, that you alluded to earlier, spoke about earlier, but it's really one of the main objectives as a partnership is also to scale your technology to, to you know, all of Veneer, Veneer's customers. Um, but also I want to talk yeah. a little bit about the, the Magna acquisition as well and what impact yeah. that might have yeah. on this partnership. Yeah, the, the, the main focus of the partnership is to really help us scale. Uh, you know, they on, not, not, not only on the engineering and industrialization and volume production of this, but th that is a big part of it. So granted, Vioneer is, is the expert in, in that area. We are the experts in LiDAR and, and uh, that, that technology that, that builds on, on itself. Um, but um, but also on the business pursuit side of things, Vioneer is already a global company with hundreds of uh, business development, salespeople, uh, with extensive connections to to all the OEMs around the world. So that is also a multiplicative force uh, that that we as a as a single company and a, and a growing company uh, cannot uh, cannot attain as easily. So. Yeah, it's it's the true meaning of leverage, you know. If you choose your partners correctly, you you have a big lever, and with a big lever, you can move the world. That's what we're trying to. So, I mean, you guys announced, I think, July nineteenth, this partnership with Vioneer, and about three days later, uh, the Magna acquisition of Vioneer is announced. So, it's just, you know, how does how does this dynamic now impact your partnership with Vioneer? Yeah. Um, well, look, in reality, it's too early to tell. The deal has just been announced and, and it's aimed to close at year's end. Uh, what I can tell you is that um, it, it looks from publicly uh, public filings that, to be a, a very good deal, you know, a, a deal to be done in, in good terms where there was about 57% upside to Vioneer's uh, uh, stock, stock price, full approval from the board and support from the board of Vioneer, et cetera, et cetera. So, and and also, if you read um, the, the communications, the the deal has been slated to or purported to be very uh, complementary. So, just as I was describing, Vioneer is a center of excellence for ADAS, autonomous vehicles, active safety, and that is exactly what Magna was trying to complement in in its own portfolio. Uh, and lidar is a key part of of all of this right the perception the the, the autonomous vehicles and ADAS lidar is a key component there so i'm very ex excited about the potential access to a much larger tier one uh, with a strong presence in america as well as uh you know vioneer's existing presence in europe and, and asia 
I think at the end of the day, it might be a very positive thing for Baraja now to, to be partnering by extension, I guess, with, with Magna. Um, I can't wait uh, to get Magna to their own evaluation, just like Unir did of 70 uh, or, or, or around 70 LIDAR companies, and to become convinced, like Vionier did, that Baraja is the right um, solution to uh, to solve the problems of autonomy that, that OEMs around the world are having. Um, but as I said, look, if you really want to know details, we probably have to, we cannot uh, um, gun jump. We have to wait until the deal is closed, and, and you would probably have to ask Magna as well. Understand. Yeah, certainly understandable. This notion of a very rich environment of LIDAR experimentation, you mentioned uh, Vianeer had evaluated 70 different companies. Recent conversations that I've had with other guests that focus on electric vehicles, one of the themes that continues to emerge more and more is that the winners among the uh, you know, the the uh, available EV technologies are starting to emerge, and that is now signaling it's the time for standards and for training technicians and all of these adjacent support services that are required to scale that technology. You know, the, the, the winning technologies appear to be emerging in the EV space. How far are we do you think from that environment in LIDAR and autonomy, where we're starting to train technicians to do repairs and maintenance and and all of those things that these technologies need to really, really scale at volume? Well, if, if you stay, the, the only way to, to talk about this, I think, is not to look at LIDAR, but at, at what LIDAR is enabling, which is autonomous vehicles. Autonomous vehicles are already a reality. Uh, you know, the, there's robot taxi fleets by Waymo in Phoenix, Arizona, and there's others uh, doing the same in Las Vegas, San Francisco, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I know that uh, your question is tied to volume. And when you talk about volume, you're talking in traditional car volumes, so hundreds of thousands or millions per year. Um, so, so, well, that level of, of volume will come probably not not necessarily from robot taxis early on or or last mile delivery or, or trucks even, but from light vehicles. Um, now does it does it matter what technology is underpinning your your LIDAR? I don't think so. I I, I would say no. Um, for you to start training technicians and for you to start adopting installing procedures and, and warranty procedures and, and even manufacturing standard operating procedures and, and automation, the the technology underpinning the LiDAR is less important, I, I would argue. Um, eventually, where all the LiDAR manufacturers have to fit into a vehicle, so it means that we're all designing our LiDAR to survive the manufacturing environment of a vehicle. Uh, it also means that we are trying to not only survive, but make it easy, economic, ergonomic to be in such an environment. Um, and it also means that we are 
paying a lot of attention to to the post service, the warranty, the re- the repair, and all of these things. Now, there are some technologies, and I, I would I would think that Spectrum Scan is one of these that make it easier to repair. Um, I was I was telling you that the way in which we scan the beam, we steer the beam is with prism-like optics, right? So th- these are pieces of silica glass, uh, cutting shapes that that make the the, the the light as it goes through it steer. Um, there is there is the possibility in our system uh, where you you know after a fender bender you could replace just the optical piece and not have to worry about replacing the the active components, the laser, the receiver, the electronics. Um, so maybe in that regard, there's certain advantages uh, by our technology compared to others. You know, imagine if you if you had to do the same with a MEMS system or with a Galvo system, then you really have to replace the, the, the whole piece because uh, there's not that distinction of passive optics only and active electronics or photonics. The whole thing is is, is co-packaged. So um I, I'm not sure if I answer your question. I uh, this is this is a bit of what I've been trying to think myself. I'm curious. Does that then? I mean, one of the things, at least here in in the United States, and I have to believe that it is similar around the world, is this you know, notion of safety standards. You know, a seatbelt works because it's built to these standards. You know how to replace a seatbelt, and I think in this space, less so right. than than electric vehicles, is this notion of passenger safety, right? And it just becomes curious to me. It says if you have seventy plus different companies experimenting with these technologies, doesn't there have to be an underlying point where the most prevalent technology is going to emerge, and then we can build standards around? those technologies is that is that that the case and maybe it's different in in electric vehicles you're because you're talking about standard plugs and and standard recycling right maybe there's different factors it's just it it's a curious piece to me that says there's a moment in time i believe that a winning technology has to emerge in this space i mean i don't i disagree with me i if if you believe that is that is a uh, that is not going to happen in this space yeah, okay. So fr- from the safety standards, I, I do think that this technology is going to become standard. So at, at some point, and, and this is to your point, it's, it's common all around the world. In Australia, there is an ANCAP safety rating. And, you know, to get the five-star safety rating year over year, you have to keep adding, right? Initially, it was just maybe you have a seatbelt and you pass. Now, now having a seatbelt is not enough, right? You need right. airbags and you need yep. ABS and and reverse cameras and all of that. So there is a point, I'm, I'm not the expert on when uh, that point will be reached, where this is going to become standard and mandated if you want to become a uh, five-star safety rated. And then after that, where uh, there, there will be a point where it's not just necessary to get the five-star rating, it's mandatory, period. Otherwise, you cannot even put a car out there. Uh, looking at, at how the autonomous world evolves, I know that these are slow um, or, or long time, time periods, right? So we're talking at least 10 years uh, for, for these changes mm-hmm. to become, you know, mandated and then uh, and then to keep evolving. Um, now that, I don't think it's necessary. So that's the, the self-driving and safety technology, which is different from the technology that underpins LiDAR A versus LiDAR B, 
right? Mm -hmm. Yep. But I guess uh, as volumes uh, and as, as as clear winners start emerging, um, I think there you, you will see definitely a, a a down selection from seventy or well, who knows how many lidar startups and companies down to say three um, industry leaders and maybe another two or three. Uh, chasers to keep the the top three honest, right? Mm -hmm. To Absolutely. be always and and this industry is is well known for not uh, not down selecting down to one. You know, instead you always down select to two or three. So there's competition, so that the there's uh, competition drives high quality and lower cost. And so I do think that that's going to happen. Uh, I think that Spectrum Scan and RMCW are going to be one of those two or three uh, at the winning position. But uh, but I don't think it's um, I don't think that that is going to go down as quickly to like in batteries to to the one uh, one type of technology or, or two. I think it's going to take a little bit longer. Um, when when we go into really really high volumes, um, I I do think eventually everyone will have to migrate to something like Spectrum Scan. Uh, the problem is you know Baraha has you know ownership of the technology is a patented technology so uh, that's going to be a really interesting position for us um because ultimately you know when you everyone from coming from any angle of technology when you want to make it really really small really really cheap really really integrated you have no choice but to remove the the mechanical components for steering like you know, your galvos your mems your anything like that and uh well the more i think about it the only solution i see is a spectrum scan. So I guess if, if you look, say, 15 years into the future, I think uh, technology is going to start converging around spectrum scan. Yeah. That, look, you're asking the founder, right, of the technology. So obviously, I'm, <laughs> I'm extremely biased. Absolutely. But, uh, I've, I've done a lot of thought experiments, and that's where I end up time and time again. So <laughs> don't hold as, it against as, me. As the founder and advocate for your for your company, but also as a thought leader in this space, right? You, you yeah. wouldn't be here in this position and the news that you're making, the announcement that you're making, had you not been thoughtful about all of this, about all of this in this entire space. And, and again, the, to me, your story is interesting, especially so because of some of the experiences you're bringing from outside of the industry. So, Fed, thank you very much for joining me today on the Daily Drive podcast. Terrific story. Congratulations. Congratulations to you and your team on your success. Looking forward to following along and to uh, hearing hearing what's next in your journey. Fantastic. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's Daily Drive for Wednesday, July 28th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>